Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Hello, thank you for joining us on October's All In for Citrus podcast. I am here with Dr. Michael Rogers, who is the center director of the Citrus Research and Education Center. Dr. Rogers, to start this off, can you kind of just talk about what this podcast is going to entail. Okay. Today I'm going to talk about IFAS's involvement in international citrus programs. Then we'll hear from Dr. Ron Cave, who will give us an update on what's going on at the Indian River Research and Education Center. Then we'll wrap up this month's podcast by speaking with Steve Futch about what's going on in the field, what he's seeing, and what growers are doing now. All right, perfect. So let's get into your portion of this this month. So why do IFAS scientists routinely travel to other countries when there's so much work to be done here in Florida on problems such as HLB? This is a question we get a lot, and one I was recently asked uh, when I returned last week from a trip to China. Folks want to know why we travel and what's the benefit for our industry. As everyone is aware, citrus isn't native to the U.S., The citrus originated in Asia and has been grown there for more than a thousand years. Compared to the 400 or so years that citrus has been been in Florida, there's much more diversification in citrus varieties and many more pests and diseases of citrus abroad than, than we have here in Florida. The citrus industries in places such as China and India, they've had a much longer time to learn what they can grow best given the different pest and disease pressures that exist there. So in different areas of the world, they've learned to adapt to these pressures and to maintain some level of citrus production despite the presence of many potential pests and diseases they've had to deal with for a very long time. And and this is something we can learn from, but it takes being there and observing the production challenges and how they're adapting to those challenges to fully grasp how we can use this information to develop better pest management practices here in Florida. Okay, great. So from observing the citrus production practices in other countries, what have you learned and how has it helped us here in the state of Florida? Okay, well, back about 10 years ago when HLB was first becoming an issue in Florida, I had the opportunity to travel to India with a couple of our faculty, Drs. Ron Berlansky and Meg Singh, uh, both who are now retired. Uh, But we traveled to different parts of India where citrus has grown to see how they're surviving despite the fact that HLB has been present there for more than 100 years. We knew going into that trip that the areas we were going to be visiting were mostly producing mandarin varieties, um, keno mandarin specifically. So our assumptions were that keno was probably an HLB tolerant variety, but as we made our way to farm after farm and, and visited some nurseries, it became clear that any tolerance in keno to HLB that might exist, um, that's probably only part of the story to the survival of the citrus industry in India. What we learned was that not only was every farmer growing primarily keno mandarin, but they were all being grown on one rootstock, and that's rough lemon. And the reason for using rough lemon became more apparent um, when we actually went and visited some of the citrus nurseries there. Uh, The rootstock liners and the nursery trees being grown uh, were all propagated in shade houses that were open and exposed to psyllids and HLB. So the the trees right, and they had actually had infected trees right next to those shade houses. Uh, So obviously we knew that those those plant material coming out of the shade houses and being planted in the field was going to be most likely HLB infected. So then when we went outside and and had a look at the rough lemon seed source trees next to that nursery, we got another surprise. And 
And these trees that we looked at were probably 30 years old and about 20 feet tall. But every single leaf on those rough lemon seed source trees had dramatic blotchy model symptoms. Um, the trees were still producing a large amount of fruit with plenty of good seed to grow rootstock liners, but the trees themselves continued to grow through the disease because of their vigorous growth habits. So part of the story that we learned from the situation in India was that rootstock sign combination is important to living with HLB. Um, but since r rough lemon as a rootstock has problems such as blight that limits its use here in Florida, um, our breeding programs continue to focus their efforts on developing the right vigorous rootstock sign combination that will work best for the Florida citrus industry. But that's not all we observed in India. Um, despite planting citrus with better tolerance to HLB, they still lost trees and entire groves to HLB over time. Um, most groves there became economically unproductive after about 15 to 20 years due to HLB. The, the groves that stayed in production the longest were those where growers were constantly monitoring their groves and actually applying fertilizer when they saw any blotchy model or related nutritional deficiency symptoms on the trees. Um, when we talked to the growers, we tried to nail down an exact fertilizer blend being used. We found that every grower was applying something different based on what they were told by the fertilizer salesman they had consulting for them. And what was applied kept changing even within a grove based on what they were seeing. So I think for most of us that kind of sounds familiar to where we are right now in Florida. Um, at the time when we came back from India and reported what we had observed, we weren't um, at the point in our industry where we could we were ready to abandon tree removal in favor of nutritional approaches to living with HLB. And that, that was definitely not a popular topic at that time, but it didn't stop our researchers in IFAS from beginning to conduct field trials on, on how to improve tree health through changes in fertilization. There were also observant growers um, who at the same time were having very similar results experimenting in their groves um, as well with fertilization practices. So collectively, these observations both at home and abroad have really helped play a role in shaping our current HLB management strategies uh, that today do include nutrient management. So you also mentioned that you recently traveled to China. So can you just talk a little bit about that trip and how IFAS is involved there? Yes, uh, myself and other IFAS faculty members have made several trips to China over the past couple of years as we are working to develop collaborations with researchers um, from the major citrus research programs there. One of our main interests in working with the folks in China goes back to what I mentioned earlier about citrus originating in Asia. China has a, a huge diversity of citrus species, both cultivated and, and also growing randomly in the wild, um, some of which have been reported to have HLB tolerance or some suggest perhaps even resistance. Uh, but very little work on the genetics of these citrus varieties has ever been attempted. So by studying them in depth, we may be able to use that information to develop new varieties that can withstand HLB, whether it be through more targeted, targeted efforts in conventional breeding or by potentially identifying new gene targets for gene editing. Um, in IFAS, um, we have the top citrus scientists in the world who are able to get this work done but we've previously not had access to the material to do so. At, at places such as the Citrus Research Institute in Chongqing, where I just returned from, they have developed a large collection of citrus germplasm that's been collected from across China that's just waiting to be studied in depth. And so people like Dr. Fred Gemitter have developed collaborative efforts with the folks at CRI to study some of these varieties of interest there. 
Um, in another part of China, in Ganzhou, at the National Naval Orange Research Center, uh, there's another collection of citrus germplasm, uh, which includes potential HLB-tolerant varieties. Um, our, our Dr. Nian Wang, here from the CREC, is collaborating with researchers there to look for also for potential resistance genes in that collection of, of citrus that may be used for gene editing of citrus here in Florida as well. It sounds like the work that was done in China will be able to be used both in China and here in Florida. Does that seem correct to you? Uh, absolutely, and I, I think this is a win for both groups. Um, the Chinese scientists get help learning about the varieties that they have, and at the same time, we have new information that can be used in our plant improvement programs that otherwise wouldn't be available to us if we weren't working together. Again, um, keep in mind that our number of citrus varieties here in the U.S., the different number of different varieties are, are much smaller um, in number. So we have very little material to work with here. Uh, we have very little genetic uh, diversity in our citrus. But in China, where citrus originated, there's, there's more citrus species to work with, and the genetic, different, the genetic diversity that may hold the key to true HLB resistance that, that could actually be there in, in China. So it's a huge win for the Florida citrus industry to be part of that discovery process. And, and there's really nowhere else in the world this particular work with such a large diversity of citrus genetic material can be accomplished. Besides learning more about the experiences of growing citrus in other countries and building research collaborations with those countries, um, are there any other benefits to the international collaborations that IFAS is involved with? Yes. Um, IFAS citrus programs are recognized globally as, as the go-to place for citrus expertise. And as we develop relationships with other foreign institutions, oftentimes we get the opportunity to recruit high-caliber students to come work in our programs. Uh, these are usually very high-quality students who burn the candles at both ends while here to, to earn an advanced degree, which also which involves working on research projects that are also important to our industry. Um, as an added bonus, uh, many times these top students bring with them the financial support for their studies. So what, what this means for us is that it's less money we have to spend to get even more research accomplished here at home. And also when those students return to their home countries, well, we'll have trained great researchers with whom we can collaborate in the future on common problems that both of our countries face. So going off of that, are there any other international activities that you have been involved with that have brought a lot of value to the Florida citrus industry? Yes, and uh, one in particular um, was last year when I was asked to travel to Trinidad to help provide assistance to their Ministry of Agriculture in dealing with HLB. In May of last year, HLB was confirmed to be present in Trinidad, and, and Trinidad is just off the northern coast of South America, and, and from parts of Trinidad you can actually see Venezuela, if that gives you some perspectives as, as to the location of that country. but. But while I was there, I was able to tour citrus groves and, and more importantly, the citrus nursery operations there. To make a long story short, um, what I found was that HLB was not only widespread throughout the island country, but it was also rampant in their open-air citrus nurseries as well. And based on what I, the HLB-associated decline in the parent trees that they were cutting budwood from just next to these, these propagation areas, the disease had probably been in Trinidad for at least 10 years, if not longer. Now, Trinidad has a, a small citrus industry that just satisfies their local consumption needs. They don't export fruit, so you might ask, you know, why does this matter to us here in Florida? And the answer is that while they don't export fruit, they do export citrus nursery stock throughout the Caribbean into places such as Cuba, Jamaica, 
um, and also other islands which really aren't that far off the coast of Florida. So no one here in Florida would have ever considered Trinidad as a potential pathway for the movement of, of citrus pests and diseases throughout the Caribbean. But based on what I saw while there, this was indeed happening and is a route that new pests can make their way closer to our industry here in Florida. So the, so the results of this particular trip to Trinidad was that we were able to work with their Ministry of Agriculture to clean up their nursery industry. And this involved destroying hundreds of thousands of nursery plants. And they have since uh, gone and built solid-proof greenhouse structures for their nurseries and are also in the process of importing clean budwood to restart the citrus nursery production there in that country. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rogers, for joining us on October's podcast and for sharing your experiences and travels with us. Thank you, Abby. Thanks for joining us as we continue October's All In for Citrus podcast. I have Dr. Ronald Cave on the phone with me. Dr. Cave is the Center Director for the Indian River Research and Education Center, or IREC. Dr. Cave, thanks for being with us on this month's podcast, and let's just jump right in. First off, can you talk a little bit about IREC and some of the staff there, as well as some of the programs the center offers? We have 11 faculty here at IREC, counting myself, and we have one more coming in November. So uh, at the end of the year, we'll have 12 faculty members uh complementing our uh, scientific team. And these faculty all represent um, six departments, six academic departments uh, in the campus in Gainesville. We have a number of programs going on here, but by far the biggest one is, of course, Citrus, uh, in which seven of our faculty, and the new one will also be involved, but seven of our faculty right now are working in some way or another on um, citrus production and post-harvest aspects. So they're looking at production, variety, evaluations, nutrition, pest management, uh, root physiology and biology, precision irrigation and nutrient management post-harvest, and even looking at nanotechnology using very, very, very tiny particles to deliver more pesticide and bactericide into the plant more efficiently where the pesticides can do a better job. So that's really our our biggest program, but it's not our only program here at IREC. We've got some faculty who look at uh, water quality and remediation, looking at stormwater quality and how can the stormwater be cleaned up before going back into the um, into the Indian River Lagoon. We have a biological control facility here called the Biological Control Research and Containment Laboratory, where I and uh, my colleague, Dr. Kerry Mintier, do work on invasive weed and insect biological control. And we have a very, very, very good aquaculture program here, uh, looking at uh, the production of food fish, ornamental fish, and bait fish. And then we have an extension, a full-time extension agent here who is uh, uh, dealing with water issues. So her program is all about outreach for uh, what with water issues. So in all, we have about 60 uh, staff, visiting scientists, hourly workers, and graduate students helping out uh, the faculty do all of that work. So talking about IREC's citrus program in particular, what are some projects that the staff in that program are currently working on? 
there's lots of projects, um, and each faculty member, of course, has at least one, often two, three, four, or five projects in their discipline, in their area of expertise that they're looking at. Looking at, uh, for example, root propagation methods uh, on the root architecture and the tree performance uh, of trees infected by uh, greening looking at grapefruit tree nutrition and irrigation and cultural practices that uh, that improve irrigation and, and delivery of fertilizers, of nutrition to the plant. Uh, there's a CUPS program here. CUPS is citrus under protected screen, so growing grapefruit in screen houses to keep the psyllid out and the uh, the psyllids and the pathogens, the bacteria that causes greening away from the trees. Uh, we have a professor who's looking at root physiology and structure and how that relates to um, plant health, overall plant health, and the interaction of the plant with the, the greening bacterium and also the rhizosphere biome, all of the microflora uh, organisms that uh, that live around the roots of the trees. And of course, we have a couple of people looking at Asian citrus psyllid management, biological control, using the parasitic wasp tamarixia, lady beetles, uh, entomopathogenic fungi combined with oil. Our specialist in post-harvest is looking at uh, ways to reduce decay uh, before harvest, but also after harvest, and, and to improve quality of um, of the fruit. And our plant pathologist is looking at oak extracts applied to the foliage and the soil to mitigate the symptoms of um, of the HLB of the greening disease. Sounds like you guys are focusing a lot on HLB, which is also what many other centers around the state are focusing on as well. Um, that leads me to my next question. What are some of the biggest problems citrus growers in the Indian River area face, and how is the staff at IREC working on addressing those issues? Well, of course, right now their biggest challenge is is fighting this greening disease, the Wong Long Bing. That's their, that's their number one. And, um, and so based on that, they're their challenges is challenge is trying to produce a profitable quantity of high quality fruit fresh fruit fresh grapefruit particularly here in the Indian River district which is famous for its high quality grapefruit and doing all of this under the conditions and stress of of greening um, they're trying to find the right varieties the appropriate crop management protocols and best post-harvest techniques for meeting the demands of a national and international market. Um, and they're also looking at developing a crop production or citrus production system that is sustainable, that's something that can be carried on year after year after year, long term. So for you as the center director, what are some of your hopes for IREC Citrus Program in the future? Well, my hopes are that uh, the scientists working here at IREC and in their collaborative efforts with uh, other scientists uh, with the University of Florida and also scientists with USDA and, and even at other research institutions outside of California, that they will answer some of these specific scientific questions. For example, what grapefruit varieties 
yield best and produce best fruit quality under the greening conditions in this area and what uh, nutrition should be provided to the plant and how should it be provided um, and looking at what are the best pest management tactics for controlling populations of the Asian citrus psyllid. What mechanisms exist for the plant to be able to battle and fight back against not only greening disease, but canker and, and other diseases that uh, inf afflict uh, citrus. So answering some of these specific questions, I, I'm hoping that they'll find answers to those questions. But I'm also hoping that they will be able to find some answers to the big picture questions, such as what can growers do to stay in business? How can growers produce a high quality fruit uh, in re to return to the good old days when when grapefruit from the Indian River District had an international reputation of being the best in the world? How can we get back to those those good old days? So answering small questions, small specific scientific questions that are advance our knowledge and and uh, and and target specific areas of crop production, but also looking at big questions that afflict that, that affect the the entire uh, citrus industry here in the Indian River District and throughout Florida. My hope is that there would someday be an area-wide integrated pest management program for managing greening. I don't believe that there is a single silver bullet out there. It would have been found by now. What it's going to take is a very complex, area-wide, integrated program looking at citrus production in a holistic method and in, in looking at all the systems components of the crop production system to to see what are the best ones, what are the best tactics to use to to control the disease and produce good fruit. Great. So like many other IFAS extension centers, I know IREC always has several projects going on. So is there anything that IREC is working on that you would like to add? Well, again, I mentioned our, our biological control of invasive weeds and insects. Uh, we have a, a very, very dynamic program in weed biological control, control using good bugs to fight bad plants. So we've got some very interesting insects that can help control Brazilian pepper. And our scientist on that program is looking at uh, uh, earleaf acacia and, and other weeds. Uh, she's got a program developing or producing large numbers of a beetle for control of air potato. And so it's a very good, uh, good program in weed biological control. Uh, our post-harvest specialist, Dr. Mark Reitenauer, is looking at essential oils to prevent post-harvest decay in strawberries, and that's moving very well. And, um, and of course, like I mentioned our aquaculture program, a very, very nice facility and uh, developing rearing methods for some of these uh, food fish that are very popular, uh, but the only way to get enough uh, material for for the market is to harvest them in the wild. So if we can figure out ways to produce them in fisheries, that will protect the populations in the wild. 
So uh, we're not just Citrus here. We've got other programs going on that are very interesting, very productive, very dynamic. And it's all done by an international community of scientists from, from throughout the world. We have visiting scientists and graduate students from all points on the globe. Perfect. It seems like your staff is really staying busy, which is good news for your growers in that area. Finally, Dr. Cave, where can growers stay up to date on all the research happening at IREC? Well, they can go to our center website, which is irrec.ifas.ufl.edu. They can learn all that we do here at IREC. They uh, can also go to another website that IFAS just launched very recently that deals only with the research that IFAS performs. That website is citrusresearch.ifas.ufl.edu. They can go to our post-harvest specialist, Mark Reitenauer's website, uh, irec.ifas.ufl.edu slash postharvest to get uh, lots of good information dealing with uh, fruit uh, after harvest. And then, of course, uh, they can attend our citrus show here on January 23 and 24 uh, in the Finn Center in Fort Pierce. It's a dynamic uh, two-day event with lots of shows, interesting talks, uh, updates on recent research, new findings that the growers will We'll, we'll hear directly from the scientists. Well, thank you so much for joining us this month, Dr. Cave. It was a pleasure. You're most welcome. Welcome back to the All In for Citrus podcast. I'm Abby Taylor, and I have Steve Futch on the phone. Steve is a citrus extension agent for the University of Florida, and most girls would probably recognize him as he spends a lot of time in the field. So that leads me to my first question. Steve, what are you seeing in the field right now? Well, certainly uh, after the crop estimate came out, uh, uh, everybody was pleased with the number. The yields are going back up instead of continuing the downward trend, which we've seen over the last couple of years. So, I mean, that's a good sign. Um, size of the fruit is running a little bit smaller than, you know, some think it should be at this time of year. So uh, size ultimately may be a factor. Uh, as we go into the harvest season, beginning in a, a month or so for the juice market, uh, there's already some fresh fruit being picked uh, with the location scattered around. So what are some things that growers should be keeping in mind right now as their season progresses? Well, I know it's hard to believe that uh, winter will be here in another month or so. Uh, and sometimes you can get some cold weather the, the end of November or into early December. So I would encourage growers to start thinking about their winter production practices and checking their irrigation systems to make sure they're properly working in order. Uh, it's much easier to check those now when the temperatures are pleasant versus uh, in a month or so when the temperatures could be, you know, in the 30s or so in your house during the round time to do those last minute preparations to run pumps for cold protection. So uh, it is um, a month away, so you've got plenty of time to, to get all of those uh, tasks that you need to do to make sure everything is good for winter. Uh, you've got plenty of time. I think everybody is well aware of the, the factor the need to control plant stresses, be that moisture, be that uh, nutrients, uh, whatever. So I think most people are up to date. On, on what um, we're trying to recommend or suggest that the growers do 
to minimize stresses, to allow the tree to survive with uh, HLB and produce a little bit of fruit. Uh, so you've got to manage water. Certainly, we've gotten drier in the last couple of weeks. And so you need to start be checking the, the pH of the water, you know, making sure that your water quality is good. Uh, if it's not, then you need to do the appropriate practices, whether you either acidify the water to reduce the pH down, or in other cases, there may be some, a few locations with high salinity in the water, and you need to start checking those wells periodically, and most growers know where those locations are, so that's nothing new, but um, in, in a few locations, salinity can be an issue as well. Perfect. Thanks for that advice. So let's touch on the recent citrus crop forecast. I know that many Florida growers were delighted to hear those numbers earlier this month, but what was your reaction? Well, I was not expecting as much fruit as they said, but again, I'm limited in my area of where I go around and eat basically to party to soda, manatee, and so uh, I thought the estimate was uh, it came out higher than what my guess would have been, but again, Mine is a guess. Theirs is based on statistics in Fruit Town and, and large number of trees scattered all over the industry. So certainly their estimate is much better than my guesstimate. And so I can't argue that it's too high or too low. Um, they've got a track record of being pretty good over the years. And so I'm glad to see it was 79 million. That certainly helps the, the processors. That helps the growers. That helps the harvesting companies. All of those companies that rely on product to move, to pick, to process, whatever, the higher that number, the, the better it's going to be for, for all those allied industries, juicing, processing, packing, uh, hauling, picking, all of those companies. Okay, Steve, well, anything else to add or any recommendations for the growers listening? Well, I think growers, you know, are, are pleased with the estimates. Uh, they're pleased that with the, the crop. But we do need to be aware we haven't had really dry weather yet, and we haven't had any cool weather. And normally um, in October or so, we get a little cool weather and then some dry weather combined with that, and you'll see fruit drop tend to, to increase. So um, my recommendations to growers is be out in the grove, watch the grove, uh, be monitoring your moisture levels. Uh, to to minimize any stresses that may occur due to the lack of, of rain or the lack of irrigation. So, and, and most growers are, are pretty well up to date on that. Awesome. Well, Steve, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for being on the podcast this month. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. And as always, let us know how we can help. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.